Good morning, church. And what a great day to be together. So glad to be back here uh, with you. Um, while you're turning, turn to Romans chapter 13. I want to kind of give you some updates. There's just a lot going on uh, in the in our church and 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 scott shared some and we'll share some more but first of all in the seats around you we're beginning the process of deacon nominations and so if you're a church member what we'd ask you to do is is take that home with you um and just spend some time just praying and putting before the lord um who you think might be candidates to serve as deacon uh in the coming months and years ahead and in there is a list in scripture of what to pay attention to and it's not really like um it's not a popularity contest it's a scriptural thing and so we want to we want to walk in line with scripture with what that is so that's what's going on uh, in that piece of paper next to you we'd love for you to take that but also it was so good um, we got back from uh, costa rica uh sunday evening uh, it was an amazing trip we had eight of us went down for a super fast week we sent out some pictures and an update in the newsletter if you get the newsletter you'll want to check that out but um in short um we had over 22 house come out for a marriage conference uh, and in this we had uh, with those 22 households over 20 children that came as well and so our team took care of kids taught them new songs and, and scriptures about God while we spent uh, about 10 hours in about oh, I would say less than a 12 to 14 hour time frame it felt like during the day just tearing into what does the Bible say about marriage what do we see in our family how do we cultivate a family where our children can pursue God with us even when times are hard or, or times are good and so in that we've already started to get feedback and hear some great news about men and women praying together for the first time in their life uh, as a couple away from the the lunch table and just God just starting to stir some things so if you would continue to pray for that effort we would love to see God move uh, in uh, Costa Rica and in Casa Vida particularly. The final thing I want to let you know is if you're a parent of a child, this is particularly important to you. You'll start to get emails from us in the coming weeks um, as we are going to have some parent feedbacks and, and talk back about what God is doing and, and the direction we're heading in our children's ministry. In the midst of that, we're going to finalize the decorating, the, the transformation of our children's ministry decor hallway, decoration of the hallway. And so if you're a parent, you want to be in on all of those things. So I am sure that everyone always opens a church email right right so just this week next two weeks open them up strong so we can be informed on what's going on okay so just so much happening today and I don't want to take away from the word but can we just pray real quick as we start today father God we just praise you for this morning God we, we praise you that your word is so incredibly good Lord, and that it, it goes out and that it is changing marriages and that it is changing homes and it is changing lives, but more importantly, Lord, that it is providing a, a light to the lost. Lord, hope to the hopeless and life where there is death. So God, we just pray that your word would do that here, right now, in our midst, God. Lord, we are grateful to be in your presence. We are grateful to come together around your word. We love you. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, if you've been with us uh, a little bit, you'll, you'll know this to be true. Just want to give you a little recap of where we've been. Where we've been hanging out over the past few weeks um, was Romans chapter 12. And in Romans chapter 12, we really get this picture that you and I, and I'll stand where you can see, that you and I are, are called in Romans chapter 12, let me do this big one here, Romans chapter 12, to love God 
right? That's what Romans chapter 12 begins with. And then to love others as well. That's really, if we want to go to the, to the ins and outs of Romans chapter 12, it's how do we love God as a living sacrifice? What does that look like? How do we get back to it? What do we need to do regularly, daily? How do we need to let God's word refine us so that we don't unintentionally slip back into looking and conforming to things of this world a little bit too much? Because that's a really easy thing to do. So it talks about how to be transformed. And then the rest of chapter 12, after God gives that, says, listen, if you're going to love me, then you are going to love others as well, because I love others. And so in that love that God has for others, we see this idea that God's saying, as a Christian, this is how we live our lives. These should be the marks of a Christian. This is what you and I should look like when the world is watching. And that's really what chapter 12 talks about is, hey, if you want to know how the world should see you, read this passage of Scripture. What you start to find out is miserable Christian is a spiritual issue because they, they're contradiction. What you start to look at is angry Christian, that's a contradiction, that's a spiritual issue. What you start to see is all these things, bitter for Jesus, all the, they don't exist outside of spiritual issue within us so as a christian how do we show that love how do we love our brother what does it look like in we talked about it in different situations and that was where 12 got us to and then chapter 13 is kind of where we find ourselves today in romans chapter 13 and in romans 13 um, we're going to skip just the very beginning, the first seven verses. Not because it's bad, it's good stuff, we'll get there. But what those verses really start talking about is this idea of authority, right? And it's not a change of topic. What it really looks like is this. Christian, this is what your love looks like in action, loving God and loving others. This is what it looks like in, in relationship with your authorities, right and the reality is we have a culture that loves respecting authority when they agree with us amen right that's the authority i love to agree with when they're on my team when they agree with me now i want you to remember paul and christianity is being physically persecuted in massive ways and i would say the authority that caesar had is very different even the authority that our government or our leaders have today and so he's in an extreme case. And, and he tells us, this is how you love people in aspect or in picture to the authority. I'm going to do this just a little bit. That way you guys can see it. But that, that's this picture. But then all of a sudden, in verse 8, we have this idea that God says, now let me just tell you, just so you know, it's not some specific thing, but that in general, in general, this is why love is so important and this is why living your life in love not just in yourself but towards other why it makes such a big difference so what we really see and i'll, I'll kind of do this in a crazy way what you silly see is romans 12 point to 13 and we see 13 point back to 12 this idea that you and i if we are going to live in a way that is according to God, loving him and loving others through him, then we need to understand something. We need to understand, first of all, that debt gets in the way. We need to know that 
debt gets in the way of loving others. Look in your Bible, Romans 13, verse 8. We'll stop at just the very, very beginning of Romans, verse 8. It says, owe no one anything. Now just stop. Don't go any further than that. Owe no one anything. In your Bible, there may be a comma, there may be a semicolon, all these kinds of things. There's no punctuation. That's just there to help you and I figure out what's going on a little bit better. But owe no one anything. And, and the reason that this verse is in here is it demands you and I asking a question. Because when we think about owing people stuff, we often think about what? Money. We often think about money. And I would tell you in the, in the big question of this thing that this is not a money conversation in this passage of Scripture. This is not a direct money conversation. But I do want you to know that in this big picture of things that we start to see, keep saying, is how does debt of some kind keep me from understanding and experiencing God's goodness and his blessing? And I think the easiest picture of that starts with money. As Americans, we have an interesting view of money. Uh, let me tell you some stats that I looked up. Um, these are a little bit old. It's about a year and a half old. The average debt of an American household is $158,000 in total debt. The average credit card debt, rolling debt, is 14241 The average auto debt is 31140 The average student loan is about 58000 Right? Man, we snuggle with debt, amen? Do you hear that? Like, we are, we are debt-friendly people. And what's interesting in this big picture is not, is debt bad or, or good? The Bible talks all about financial debt. In fact, Jesus would hit it hardest, and he would say, where your money is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And that could be expounded very easily to say, where your treasure is that you haven't earned yet, that tells you where your heart really, really is, right? What are we really, really excited about? What toys do we have? What do we look at? But the question when it comes to financial debt starts to lead us into this conversation about a spiritual or relational debt. And that's this, is do I have debt that's keeping me from experiencing God's blessing? And I want you to know, I've seen this more in our lifetime than I can count a stick at. How many times has debt kept you from doing what you know would honor God financially? Like, I would love to help out my neighbor in need, but I just bought my play toy that cost $80,000. I would absolutely love to help my mom or my father out a little bit more. I would love to tithe. I would love to give towards them. I would love for our family to serve the Lord in these kinds of ways. But my cable bill's running 190 bucks a month and I'm in a two-year contract. Have you ever, don't raise your hand, but have you ever felt any of those tensions on your life? Have you ever felt those moments where debt really kind of goes into this? Christy and I, we, we came up with very different pictures of debt. Uh, to me, unsecured debt was better than secured debt. To her, secured debt was better than unsecured debt. And our first, our first conversation about this took about five years into our marriage to get into. And, and we had a choice. We had a credit card that had 0% interest. Ah, right? That's what we felt like. And I said, why don't we put our car note on our credit card? And Christy goes, no, that scares me too much. I'd rather just keep it tied to the, to the car. And I said, yeah, but if something bad happens, if it's on the credit card, they can't do anything to us. 
but if it's the car they can take it from us and Christy goes that sounds unethical <laughs> right for her she would rather had she would have rather thought I'd just rather have that integrity that we have and take the car and we'll figure it out than say someone you let me borrow money on good faith and I chose not to pay it back and I will tell you that didn't make sense to me because the way that I saw debt was from myself looking out and not through the eyes of God what I was trying to do is I was trying to honor me while I honor God on the side have you ever been there have you ever found yourself in a moment thinking this way? Christian and I were reading a story about um, some folks um, going on backpacking trips and things around and, and reading stories about debt. And I've started to, to see a, a trend. Have you heard this in America? Where I borrow, but I live like I'm debt-free, and then I'm angry when my debt is called due. Have you, have you noticed that in the, the news stories? I borrow... I live like I'm debt-free, but when my debt is called due, I'm angry because you're destroying my life. This is where all of a sudden we start to see this idea, church, that how we view financial debt is likely how you view relational debt or spiritual debt. It's likely tied into that together. And here's what I mean. If you and I view financial debt as between me and you, and we have shared terms, I'm normally going to think me. Even if you're in the right, if you act in a way that's ugly towards me, now I'm doubling down on thinking on me. See, when it comes to spiritual and relational debt, we create potholes in our life, and Paul's going to talk about this. But that debt tends to build up. Have you, have you ever found yourself wondering why everyone else is against your family? Have you ever wondered why the school fails you or the church fails you or your friends fail you or your parents are failing you? Have you ever wondered why things are just, no one can get their act together? Have you ever felt like if people would just listen to you or live their life more like you, the world would be a little bit better and you don't understand why? If you've ever felt that way, that's what spiritual and relational debt feels like. It means you've most likely borrowed, you've lived a certain way, and now you're blaming and you're angry at other people, and you never look at yourself. Romans chapter 13, verse 8, let's read it all the way through. The Bible says it this way. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who has loved one another, loves another, has fulfilled the law. So we have to ask the question, what is relational debt that Scripture's talking about here? Well, at its short, it's this. It's when you and I, in relationship to one another, have put ourselves first and someone else second. That we have not loved our brother over ourselves. And, and here's a, a great litmus test of this. This is going to be one of those steel two boot, boots day to day. Have you ever given yourself the benefit of the doubt when someone didn't ask you why you did something? 
but you got angry at someone and didn't give them the benefit of the doubt when you thought poorly about them has that ever happened have you ever given yourself more grace than somebody else yeah that's putting yourself first and someone else second and and here's the thing if we read this passage incorrectly oh no one anything but love and we think that what we the person that we owe love to is our our brother then here's what's going to happen you and i are going to find ourselves digging relational and spiritual potholes all around us till all of a sudden your yard looks like a minefield your relationship with god is faltering your family your relationship with your parents are going wild your wife and you aren't on the same page your kids are acting out there's holes in your yard and you're just disappointed in the world if you think the love that you owe your brother is this relationship, you're missing out. See, what Scripture says is, owe, owe them love. But this love, as Romans 12 talks to, is the only person you're indebted to love is the Lord. But because you love the Lord, you are compelled to love your brother. Does that make sense? You, you can't love your brother and leave the Lord out of it. You can't love your brother and then go up to the Lord. In the same way, you can't love your wife and keep the Lord out of it and expect, expect a healthy marriage. If you love the Lord, you will be compelled to love your life be, wife better than you could ever love her on your own because you're tapped into him. You owe the Lord love, Christian, because he saved you. And here's the beauty of that. If you owe the Lord love, then it doesn't matter what your brother has done, what your sister has said, where they go. You are compelled to love them in their filth because you have a debt of love to the Lord. You follow me? If you come to church here because you love me or you love Pastor Scott or you love Pastor Jorge, I promise you one day we're gonna do something that it doesn't live up to your expectations and that will give you an excuse to not be indebted to love us anymore and you'll try to find someone else to love. Don't do that. You are indebted to love the Lord and therefore even when I make mistakes, you're compelled to love me and I you. You follow me? Do you see this, this picture of protection that God creates when he says relational debt is when you love yourself first and your brother second? What God says is, if you love me with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, then you will love your neighbor, how? As yourself. It doesn't say that you're gonna be, you know, something to be walked on it doesn't mean that you have to be you know something on the bottom of a cattle trough that's not what it means what scripture says is you have to love one another and that relational debt some of us have stacked up some of us have created debt where people know that we've created debt right some people we have just said I made a crude joke about him. I, I wrote down. You maybe you've gotten overly defensive of your child against a teacher and lost your temper. That's probably not accurate in here, but follow me. Maybe you've treated your spouse as a caretaker instead of the bride of Christ. That's a debt you've created. 
right? Maybe you've gossiped about someone. Maybe with good intentions, you've chosen not to reconcile with a brother, but instead to see if everyone else agrees with your perspective. That's debt. Do you, do you follow me? You find me on these? Debt is when you are placing yourself first. By definition, you are worshiping yourself as you do your daily devotional. Are we tracking you with me right now? I want you to see how hard this is because we love piling up debt because it makes us righteous. The problem is it makes us self-righteous. Not right with God. Man, I, I just wrote down list after list after list. Owe no man anything but love for each other, except love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Church, this is where I want to draw a different picture for you. And I want to get a fatter marker here. I want to draw a different picture for you. This is how you know that the love that we're talking about in our relationship is heavenly. It's not earthly. Because no man... No woman in their best day, no matter how much you love someone, can do it in a way that fulfills the perfect law of God. Because you're imperfect and I'm imperfect. Even though I'm striving to run hard after Christ, he is in the process of sanctifying me and one day I will be completely perfect. But someday, one day, Lord willing, less and less, and unintentionally, I will do something, think something, say something that creates a debt, that breaks the law. So therefore, the love that, that I share to you as my brother and sister, it can't be centered in me. If it's going to be a love that lets me, a broken man, fulfill the perfect law of God, where does that love have to be centered? And God, the one who made the law, the one who gave his son to fulfill the law. And better yet, I would say that that love has to be centered in Christ Jesus. This is where it gets complex and simple. Because love is a, is a, is a two-part process. First, I would tell you that love is a pothole filler. And the second thing I would say is that love is a bypass. This is what scripture would show. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 5.18 says. All of this is from God, through Christ, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, loving your brother isn't only about looking backwards and it's not only about looking forward. What the perfect love of God does is it wipes away all of the sins of your past. It fills all of those potholes. It makes everything good. Cast your far sin as far as the east is from the rest. But what it also does is it creates a bypass around future pothole thinking future pothole creation see what Christ's love does is it says David Adams here are all this if you can't tell these are potholes I know it looks just like it but these are potholes and these are potholes that you created in your life 
whether you wanted to or whether you did them intentionally or unintentionally actually doesn't matter at all. You broke the rule, you broke the law, you created holes, you dug ditches. And what Jesus says to you and I, Christian, is that if we're carrying our offering to the Lord, and in our life, we look back and we have wronged a brother or sister. We have done something. We have held something in our heart. We have become bitter in our heart. We've become judgmental in our heart. We have broken them down. We have said something to them. It says, stop right there and go make it right before judgment comes. Paul would say it this way. When you take the Lord's Supper, if you do it and you have sin in your heart, Against, if you have debts in your heart that you haven't started to say, God, forgive me, reconcile me, don't do it. Because if you take the Lord's Supper with that in your heart, you are being cursed by the living God. We use the word discipline all throughout the day, but it means you're on the wrong side of God. But here's what love does. The love of God does in our life presently what it's done in our life in the past. It says, Lord, show me the wicked ways. Show me where I have caused harm to others. Show me where my heart has turned sour. Show me these ways, God, so that I might ask forgiveness first of you. And if I have done any wrong to my brother, think Zacchaeus, think Matthew. Let me go make it right abundantly. See, the love of God doesn't say, I'm forgiven, so therefore I don't have to face at all any of my wrongs. It says, because of the love of God, I can watch Christ do what I could never do. He can heal the broken. Not just this brokenhearted, but every broken pothole in my past. When Christ gave his life for you, he died so that you wouldn't have to be who you have always been so that you could be who you were made to be. When salvation comes into your life, when a brother or sister pronounces baptism, it's an opportunity to say, what Christ has done in me is what he wants done for you. And when you love your brother or sister in a way that is unusual, You've always been this way, but love now has wiping out your debt. You're reconciling with your brother and sister. Then we see the power of God at work around you. But you and I won't seek it if we don't believe that we're pothole makers. So we have to confess, God, show me where I have loved others this way instead of through you. But, but here's the beautiful thing. It's not just that we're, love is a pothole maker. Love is a bypass. And when I wrote this down, I just thought, what an interesting idea when we look at love. For, for the one who loves one another fulfills the law. Look with me in your Bible at verse 9. For the, for the commandments... For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, you shall not uh, have any other commandment, uh, in any other commandments summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not wrong, do wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling to the law. I love this idea because what scripture is really saying is love is the bypass 
around any future potholes that sin and thinking of self would create. Love is a way over it. Just because you have been doesn't mean you will be. Normally I read my notes to you today, but I want to read someone better than mine today. I was reading the notes of D.L. Moody, an evangelist, pastor. He's long been gone and seen with the Lord. But on this verse in the notes of his Bible, next to the Ten Commandments, he wrote this out. This is how love fulfills the law. To love God will admit there are no other gods. Love resents everything that debases its object by representing it by an image. Love to God will never dishonor his name. Love to God will reverence his day. Love of parents makes one honor them. Hate, not love, is a murderer. Lust, not love, commits adultery. Love will give, it would never steal. Love will not slander or lie. And love's eye is not covetous. You see, when you and I think about the love of God in terms of a bypass, in the negative sense, if you and I live our life loving our neighbor as ourself through God, then it keeps you from breaking things. And we all are experienced at breaking things. How many times have you broken your kid's heart? How many times have you broken someone's expectations? How many times have you let yourself down and felt broken? What scripture says is love keeps you from breaking things. The joy of this is the positive things is that love is so generous. J-E-N-E-R-O-U-S. You can check that later on. Is so generous. It doesn't live its life in fear of breaking things. Because the love of God is so much greater than the simple law of minimums that a lie that used to lust every day no longer has to think about lust because it's such a distant memory because the love of Christ has captivated your eye. The idea of stealing or wanting or coveting what your neighbor has, it's no longer present. That's how love fulfills the law. But if we think of love as one-dimensional or man-centric, it's going to let us down. But if we think of love through the eyes of Christ, it will never fail us. I journaled after reading this. To know what love is means I have to confess what sin feels like. To know what love feels like. And I wrote in my journal, sin feels cold. Since I have confessed my faith in Jesus Christ, sin has always felt cold. When I am awake to what God is doing and sin tempts me, it always, it, it, to me, it's felt physically and spiritually cold, even as it tempts. Because the spirit and the love of God is so dramatically different than sin, we can identify it. But that doesn't mean that you don't ever stumble, you don't ever fall. But we have to be willing to say, God, to see your love means that you will let every pothole in my past, 
that needs to be reconciled confessed to you in every pothole in the future that it'll look dramatically different. So that I won't just say whatever comes out of my mouth, whatever is on my heart, because I want to, or because some other people might agree with me. Because my love is centered on God. And that should be enough. But Paul says, I don't think it will be. So let me write a little bit more. Verse 11, and we'll finish this out. Besides, this you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Night is far gone. The day is at hand. Then let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, not in sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires." What, what Scripture says is, if just knowing the fullness of life is what you have in Christ when you love your neighbor as yourself in the way that Scripture points out, if that's not enough, then you need to know, church, wake up. The Lord is returning. The Lord is at hand. I, I would tell you in my lifetime, I have never been more cognizant of the pieces that seem to be moving around the world. I'm not trying to be a prophesier. Don't, don't throw rocks today. But if nothing else, today you're a day closer to Christ's return than you've ever been. A pastor named Adrian Rogers would say it this way. Church, do you believe the judgment is real. That one day you will see Christ and the Lord face to face and stand before judgment. And if you're a Christian, the Bible says that he's blotted out your sins, so he's not going to replay all your mistakes in life. But Pastor Rogers would say this, but I believe wholeheartedly there's going to be blackout gaps in your film because he will not reward you for what? You, for your sin. He would say there's going to be moments where you're watching the real with him and he give, he's giving, you're giving him glory and then the film's going to go blank for a while before it goes beautiful again. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is returning to bring judgment and reward? If you do, then wake up and let your heart love your neighbor through the Lord sin wants you to keep your eye on today that's the trick Proverbs chapter 7 verse 19 through 20 says this is what the adulterous women says, says in Proverbs for, for my husband's not at home he's gone on a long journey he took a bag of money lit with him at full moon he will come in in other words don't worry about the sin we would commit because it's going to be a minute Jesus would tell a parable in Matthew chapter 24. The wicked servant says to himself, my master has been delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards. What the sin of the world would say is, look down. Look down. Look at right now. Don't worry. It's, it's, it's going to be a minute. It's going to be a while before the Lord returns. It's going to be, a, you have time. 
Don't, don't worry about it. Don't, don't reconcile with your brother. Don't worry about the steps ahead of you. You've got time. Entertain yourself. Entertain your joy. Entertain your delight. Entertain your bitterness. Entertain your hate. Entertain those thoughts. It's all okay. There's plenty of time. What Paul says is wake up. If living the fullness of life in Christ is not enough for you, then judgment and reward should be. But I'm telling you, we live with our eyes on the ground, not our eyes on the horizon. Church, do not pretend like the adulterous woman in Proverbs or the wicked servant in Matthew. That you can cling to those things and hear the voice of your Lord saying, well done, good and faithful servant. In your self-righteousness, you were right. You were the model. It was Jesus than you. You will not hear those words. Nor will you hear, you reveled in your sin, but that's okay. Didn't bother me a bit. Church, we are to be a different people who loves our brother and our sister as ourselves because of Christ. And I want you to know, in verse 14, it says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to know, how do I avoid a debt, heavy laden, heavy burden life? It begins with putting on Jesus. Have you confessed him as your Lord and Savior? Do you wake up every day and say, good morning, Father. Good morning, Lord. Do you humble yourself before him and ask him to drape your mouth, drape your mind, drape your emotions, fill your steps? Do you put on Jesus? If you've never put on Jesus, it's really, do you wake up and acknowledge your relationship? That you are a pothole-making fool, condemned to a pothole-ridden future. But Jesus can change all of that if you submit your future to the Father. But then, if you have put on Christ, what debts is he calling you to reconcile? What debt is he saying, I want you to let my love pave over the holes you've been holding on to, that the shrapnel you've been tossing out. Men, let me tell you a secret. It's a pastoral confession historically. I can't tell you how many times we shoot shrapnel at our wife when we hold bitterness towards other people and we keep sharing it at her. You are leading your wife to sin, don't do it. That may be the place you need to start. If you have put on Christ and if you have said, Lord, show me that your grace, your love may reconcile the sins in my past and make right what I've wronged, then follow him. Take every thought captive before him and bypass those potholes for your future.